This morning's reading comes from Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the, from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. If you've been uh, with us this summer, you'll know that uh, we have been uh, doing something interesting in the book of Psalms. We've been looking at different uh, emotions that are represented throughout the book of Psalms. We actually have pictures up here that you could come and take a look at at some point that represent all of those uh, different emotions. But what we found is that, that really each Psalm in the book of Psalms is an intimate prayer which is why many have have looked at the book of Psalms and said that it really is a tool box for us to learn how to pray as people. And often uh, these prayers are incredibly poetic, they're uh, incredibly uh, creative, and often very transparent and very intimate. Eugene Peterson said that prayer and poetry are the closest of kin. In poetry we say it, but in prayer we become what we say. This uh, particular psalm that we just read is to considered to be one of the more uh, poetic psalms in all of the Bible. It's uh, considered to be an acrostic psalm, meaning each stanza begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Think back to those uh, old kids' books you used to read where it was A is for apple and B is for banana and C is for cat. This is an alphabetic psalm uh, that speaks of the deliverance that comes from God and also reverence for God as well. And there's a lot of emotions that are creatively discussed just within uh, this one particular psalm. But the one I'd like to, to focus on this morning is one that you see particularly at the beginning of the psalm. 
And that is the emotion of fear. There are a lot of uh, emotions all throughout uh, the Psalms. Some are easy to relate to. Some are harder to relate to. But the emotion of fear is one at least everyone can hang their hat on. It's an emotion that all of us have felt at some point in our lives. Uh, I looked up this week in the Oxford Dictionary uh, the amount of diagnosed and actual fears they are, and the list is substantial. There's over 200 diagnosable phobias and fears in the Oxford Dictionary. Thankfully, none of you seem to suffer from ecclesiophobia, which is the fear of church, an actual diagnosable fear. But maybe you do suffer from pagonophobia, which is the fear of beards, an actual fear. Or maybe you suffer from bromidrosophobia, which is the fear of body odor. These are all actual diagnosable fears. So there's all these things that that we can be afraid of, things that we can chuckle at, things that we can laugh at. But there are all sorts of things that life presents us that we can be fearful of. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld used to joke uh, about an article he read once that said uh, there is a higher percentage of people that are uh, afraid of speaking in public than there are people that are afraid of death. And he often joked many people in the population would rather die than speak in public because they are so afraid of that. Carl uh, Ulbricht is uh, a a cognitive specialist, uh, and he writes for Psychology Today. And he wrote an article about uh, the different types of fear that we feel as people. And he really identified five different types of fear that we can feel as individuals. But as I looked at the list, I felt like we could narrow that down to really two categories. And I'm not the only person to to do this. Lots of speakers and writers have thought of this. But as I looked at this list, I narrowed it down to two types of fears. One is the fears that relate to our body, and the other are the fears that relate to our hearts. And I think we'll see that the fear of the Lord actually has something to say about both of those. First, the fear of the body. Elbrick says that, that this is uh, the fear of dying, the fear of death. It's the fear of losing a body part or uh, suffering some kind of injury or being paralyzed or immobilized in some sort of way. And, and, and these can be very healthy fears for us to have. I don't step out in traffic or uh, put my hand on a stove because of this kind of fear. These are fears that we teach our kids are good to have so they learn how to function in the world and live life uh, appropriately. These fears protect us from all sorts of things. Uh, just, just a few weeks ago, we, we took our family up to, uh, to Hershey Park in Pennsylvania, and uh, our kids were so excited about going to Hershey Park in Pennsylvania because they'd never uh, been before. They'd never gone on a roller coaster before. They'd only uh, seen it on television before. So uh, we saved up the money and decided to take them up for the day. And, and when we arrived, uh, the, uh, the, the first roller coaster I wanted them to go on was a roller coaster called the Comet. 
And uh, the Comet is an old wooden rickety roller coaster that's been around for 50 years. And uh, the reason I wanted them to go on is because that was the first roller coaster I went on when I was a kid. So I thought, man, this is appropriate to do this. And uh, uh, all the kids, except for the baby, uh, went on this roller coaster. And uh, my five-year-old in particular uh, was so excited to go on a roller coaster. Uh, she happily waited in line, very eager and very excited. Uh, she was very uh, excited to get in the chair and strap in her seatbelt and, and let the bar come down. And she was giddy and all smiles as the roller coaster climbed up the incline. And then it went over the incline and went down. And it was at that moment that my five-year-old discovered this kind of fear. It petrified her and she was scared to death. For the rest of the day, we could hardly get her on any other roller coaster. Why? Because she was captured by this kind of fear. Well, David felt this fear too. Many attribute uh, this psalm to David and they attribute it to a time in David's life uh, that is recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapter 21. At this point in David's life, he had been, uh, he had been anointed uh, to be the new king of Israel, but that hadn't been realized yet. He had not assumed the throne yet because King Saul was still on that throne. But King Saul couldn't stand David. He was insanely jealous of David. So what he did to protect his throne is he sought to have David killed. And he marshaled all the strength of the Israelite army in order to have David killed. So David had to do what he had to do. He had to go on the run and he had to find a place to hide. So interestingly enough, he fled to his enemies. He went to the Philistines, the enemies of the Israelite people, and requested to hide out amongst them. What's so ironic about this is four chapters later, David was the reason the Israelites' army defeated the Philistines through his defeat of the giant Goliath. But nonetheless, David went and hid with the Philistines. But even in their presence, David is fearful. You see, he's caught between fearing his own people and King Saul, and he is fearful of the enemies that he is now living amongst as a fugitive. Really, danger was on every side of David's life. And yet in that moment, even in that moment, he prays this prayer, verse 3, O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. He says in verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them from all of their troubles. You see, in some ways, this psalm is is a testimony for David. It's, It's a witness. It's David sharing with the world, everyone who would listen, everyone who was around him, how God has delivered him. He's praising God for his deliverance and he's inviting everyone else to join him in the celebration because God has delivered him from the object and the circumstances of his dread. Verse six, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. 
But there's also instruction going on here in David's part. He's, he's instructing his audience where they are supposed to go when they are captured by fears just like he was. Verse 11, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. You see, David is instilling wisdom. He's instilling this wisdom that has come from his experience about what to do when we are captured by fears. I'm sure we all uh, watched the news last week uh, and saw uh, what happened in old Ellicott City, uh, uh, a neighborhood that's uh, just about 25 minutes um, uh, west of here. Uh, I know Ellicott City pretty well because I worked in Ellicott City for a long time, had a lot of people connected to that area, and I know uh, just how precious that neighborhood, especially that main street of, of old Ellicott City was uh, in that area. So it's just been a huge amount of devastation uh, for that community. And there's been, but what's been so interesting is, is all the stories that have come out of this, stories of rescue and, and heroism by normal people. And uh, one of those stories came out Thursday, uh, and it featured a church in old Ellicott City, and it's a church that sits up on a hill uh, called St. Paul's. It's a Catholic church. And what the story said is when the floodwaters began to come and they started to rush into uh, this main street of old Ellicott City, it sent people in a panic and a frenzy. And what did they do? They scrambled up the hill as best as they could and they fled into a church, a house of God, in order to be safe from the devastation, a church that sat high up on the hill. Friends, do what David did in this psalm. Flee to God with your fears. FDR famously said that the only thing that we have to fear is what? Fear itself. It's a great quote. It's one that we often uh, quote a lot in interesting situations. But it's one that we feel can be very hard to practically live out in the day-to-day. And the question is, why is that? Why is the struggles with fear so acute? And I think that's because there are much deeper fears than just the fears of the body. There are much deeper fears that plague our soul, and I call these the fears of the heart. Albrecht said that there are uh, other types of fears too. He said these are fears of separation, fears of uh, abandonment and rejection, fears of uh, death of ourself. These are uh, deeper fears that are sometimes more challenging for us to wrestle with. These are the fears that have our knees knocking when we walk into a new school or a new job for the first time. These are the fears that that have our mouths dry when we are about to go in for a performance review with our boss. These are the fears that keep parents up worried at night over the health and welfare of their children. These are the fears that give birth to anxieties about the future or about how to pay our bills or what path in life that we are to choose. These are the fears that drive us to all sorts of coping mechanisms to drown out the anxieties that exist in our head. These are the anxieties that lead to ulcers and nervous twitches and sleeplessness and and massive stress and all the things that come with it. 
These are the very fears that drove Abraham and Isaac to lie about their wives when they were uh, in order to save their necks in foreign lands. These were the fears that called Moses to cause Moses to hit the rock twice and caused his people, the Israelites, to to fashion a golden calf. These are the fears that led Peter to betray Jesus three times on the eve of the crucifixion. These are the fears that caused Jesus's followers to scatter once he was arrested. Friends, these are the fears that relate to the deepest parts of our soul. When our identity is threatened, when our self-worth is challenged, when we are desperately seeking the approval of others, all of these fears bubble to the surface of our hearts. You see, self-worth and identity and approval and our search for all these things are deeply related to this kind of fear. Where do we go to, to find these things that are so important to our souls? And what if we can't find them? It leaves us panicked and frenetic and frenzied. But friends, these are the very things that the message of the gospel speaks so powerfully about. Because the gospel meets us in the midst of our desires for and our fears all about self-worth and identity and approval seeking. But the gospel doesn't just eradicate these fears. It doesn't just take them away. Instead, what it does is it replaces these fears. It replaces them with the fear of the Lord. Three times David talks about in this psalm this idea of the fear of the Lord. He says in verse 7, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Verse 9, O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who hear him have no lack. Verse 11, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. This idea of, of the fear of the Lord is a common one in the Old Testament. You'll read about it all throughout the Old Testament. And many people have wondered, what, what exactly does this mean? Does it mean that I'm supposed to be afraid of God? Should I be afraid of him? And the answer to that is kind of yes and kind of no all at the same time. You see, the Bible portrays God as a just God who must punish sin. For him to not punish sin would, to go, would be to go against his character of perfect justice. And the Bible is also clear about the fact that each and every one of us have sinned. We have violated God's law. We've, we've, we've rebelled against him. We've broken his law. We have violated his covenant. We have walked away from him in our attempt to be our own gods. And because of that, we should fear the just wrath of a God who we have offended. But the good news of the gospel is this. The good news of the gospel is that God has provided a way of escape. He's made a way for us to be forgiven and accepted, a way for us who ought to be condemned to be approved. He has made a way for objects of wrath to become objects of grace. 
You see, Jesus Christ and his work on our behalf has accomplished this. And when we receive his gift of grace by faith, our fears become transformed. No longer do we have to fear God's wrath. Instead, our fear is transformed into something different. You see, some translate this word fear in this context into reverence. And it certainly does have a large uh, part to do with respect and reverence of God. But it carries a much greater relational component to it than we first realize. You see, the fear of the Lord means that because of what Christ has done for us, our issues of identity and seeking approval and self-worth become satisfied. Our identity is rooted in the fact that we have been chosen and adopted as sons and daughters of God. Our self-worth is rooted in our position in Christ, not in our achievements or in being successful. We are approved by the Father in heaven. We are declared righteous in Christ, and nothing can separate us from that love. And it's why Peter said, perfect love casts out fear. You see, this relational dynamic means so much to us that there is actually nothing we would ever want to do to upset it. I once had a a student in a youth ministry that I worked years and years and years ago uh, who was a challenge, to be honest. We, We say we love all the kids, and we do love all the kids, but some are more challenging than others, and this young man was particularly challenging. Uh, To put it simply, he was arrogant, he was off-color, he was rude, he was impolite, and all-around generally offensive. He was just very hard to be around and very hard to love most days. But it all changed on a dime. It all changed on the day when his eye got caught by a pretty girl that he wanted to impress. All of a sudden, he became kind, he became polite, He was deferential and he fell over himself to be respectful to everyone he ran into. Now, he didn't change because it was his duty to change. He delighted to change these things about him because he did not want to cause any harm to this relationship. And because he didn't want to cause any harm, it changed the way he acted. It changed his behavior accordingly. And friends, this is what the fear of the Lord really means for the Christian. It means that we are so delighted in our relationship with God. We are so overwhelmed by all that we have in Jesus that it changes the way that we act and the way that we live our lives. It becomes our delight to submit ourselves to the will of God. Verse 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Verse 14, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. You see, these things aren't, ought not simply to be our duty. Instead, they ought to be our delight. And this is what the gospel does. This is what it does inside of us. It replaces our fears with a proper fear, the fear of the Lord. 
So the question to ask yourselves is, is your heart captured by fears? And if so, what kind of fears are they captured by? And if you look into your heart and see these fears, then do what David did. Verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. See, what David is saying is drink deeply of your relationship with Christ. Fear the Lord. Delight yourselves in the richness that you have in Jesus Christ. You know, in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Jesus uh, said to his followers just on the eve before uh, he was to be arrested and crucified, he looked at his followers and he said, my soul is very sorrowful even to the point of death. The gospel writer Luke tells us that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, I don't want to pretend to know what Jesus was going through and what was going on in his heart in that moment. We can't really understand the fullness of what he must have felt at that moment, but we do know that he was incredibly sorrowful and he certainly was not looking forward to the road that was in front of him that he was about to walk down. But what we do know is that he embodied perfectly the fear of the Lord. He embodied what it meant to delight ourselves in God and to perfectly submit our wills to God's will. In fact, he said to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. Friends, he endured the shame He bore the cost. He perfectly submitted to the Father's will so that you and I would not have to be subject to the wrath that we deserve. All of this was motivated by love, pure, unadulterated, incredible love, perfect love, and that perfect love casts out fear. Let's pray.